Albert, listen. If you come up through Lewis Fork, I can recommend a place for lunch. The Lamp Lighter Inn. They got a cherry pie there. That'll kill you. Diane, it's 8.14 p.m. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Twin Peaks Peaks. My name is Ashley Brandt. My name is Matthew Olson, and joining us today is director, comedian, and very good friend, Jess Lane. Hi, Jess. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're here to talk about part 11 of Twin Peaks, The Return, season three, whatever you wish to call it, but also you just basically binged through the entire show up till, till up until this point. That's very true. <laughs> you have seen it before, like the old episodes, right? I had only ever watched it when other people were watching it. So I oh. had a boyfriend in college who was watching it and I would like tune in intermittently. Um, and I also had a roommate who was watching it and I would do the same. Okay. So I was re-watching and I was vaguely familiar with it and had enjoyed some of it, but... Watching it straight through the context was very different from from sort of watching episodes in a bubble, for sure. Okay, so so it was basically mostly fresh. Like, you had some of the, the flavor, maybe? Like, you know, like... Exactly. There's some woods, some murders, some... There's a lot of wood paneling. Yeah. I remember... <laughs> a lot of wood paneling. Still mostly, is, still I, is. I mostly remember that, yeah, the scenes inside the Great Northern is, like, what sticks out most in my mind from watching old episodes. I also, I guess, like, I, I caught... Like the Billy Zane episodes, which is crazy because those are like <laughs> season two, episode like 20 was, through 22. I was going to ask if there was like a plot line you realized in the old show, like you had a, you thought was way more space when you saw the snippets. Yeah. yeah. I thought Billy Zane was in it a lot more. No, it's just <sighs> a regrettably man. large amount for what it is, but very small. Uh, <laughs> great reality to live in, though. <laughs> As Where someone, Billy Zane was a main cast yeah. member. <laughs> Sorry. As someone who just watched the series, I will say you were very wrong. And Billy Zane is a dream and wonderful. You don't know how hard we went on Billy Zane. Because Billy Zane, when we were doing the original series, taking it a week or more at a time through the doldrums of season two. Was juxtaposed with Wyndham Earl. We're never going to hear from him again. Yeah. I, I think we probably heaped more than his fair share of hate Apparently on Billy, Billy Zane. Zane has his fans. Here's what I'll say. We have one in the room, yeah. I've I've never liked Billy Zane. <laughs> he is a born villain. He has an unlikable face, but little baby angel tween Billy Zane was wonderful. Isn't he the the bad guy in Titanic? If there's, yes. if there's a bad guy that's not the iceberg. Yes, he is representative <laughs> of capitalism at okay. large. Okay. Yeah. The most evil thing in the world, yeah. But I mean he is as well here. 
Kind of. He, I, Elliot. He's the construction boy who pulled himself out by his bootstraps That's to become Ben's true. golden boy. To deflower Audrey in a private plane. <laughs> so that uh, Laura Flynn Boyle wouldn't get upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. We've already way over, like, done the Billy Zane quota for the episode. <laughs> if you're a Billy Zane fan, at us at Twin Peaks Peaks, we're going to be tallying these votes. I'm a Zaneaholic. <laughs> <laughs> so, you binged through the old stuff. Uh, what did you think of Fire Walk With Me? Oh, I thought it was interesting. Um, I thought it was context I didn't need. Okay. I was like, okay, so this is all old stuff. The only, like, valuable piece of information we got was Annie, uh, which played out quickly and succinctly, as we've seen. Uh, The only other context we got was how horrible Bobby was, maybe. He, he, like, wasn't as horrible by the end of... No, but he did kill a man in the movie. That's true. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Flying and coke. We just uh, we just went through the secret diary of Laura Palmer, which basically paints a very similar picture of who Laura is, which is like, I mean, we talk about at length and talk about how necessary that is in the context of the movie, but in terms of the book, which is just a six-hour-long version of that story, we also felt like you didn't you at least don't need the book in addition to the movie. Yeah. Sure. But yeah, I guess that is in true. terms of plotty stuff, I guess especially if you're just preparing for the new show, like the 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 major plot takeaway from the movie is Annie's appearance because otherwise it is just telling you Laura's story, which even up until this point in the return, other than things like the ring, mm-hmm. you don't really. I mean, need. Philip Jeffries. Yes, that's true. Blue Rose cases. There's some stuff. There's some stuff, but we still don't really know what's up with Philip oh, or no, the ring don't. or the Blue Rose cases. They've just <laughs> Do we been have referenced. Any more information than those references? Not really, but no. Um, but it's interesting because the return was prefaced from people within the cast by saying that Firewalk with me was going to be more relevant than the original series. Yes, bit. and there is and there is another illusion in this week's episode, this week's part, part 11, uh, that we can touch on and get into, but uh, I, I mean, I remember the first time I watched Firewalk with me, and I'd held off, and I liked it, but I didn't come to really appreciate it until like subsequent rewatchings. I remember hating the Chris Isaac Kiefer Sullivan part at first. Oh and, like, no, if you're... those little baby boys. <laughs> you, know, you, you loved them. I love baby boy faces. You see a pattern. <laughs> oh yeah. So Billy Zane, <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. I feel like Chris Isaac isn't that much of a baby in it. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you've gone through parts 1 through 10 and now 11 mm-hmm. all in a chunk which is... I mean, that's how I first watched the series. The original series was binging, yeah. and now it's like we have an opportunity here with you as our case study, Jess, to talk about what binging the return is like. It was great. It was like doing repeated hits of a drug over and over <laughs> again. Um, I will say that I was mourning a little bit the loss of the space between the episodes mm. um, because I was like texted, texting rapid fire with my friend while I was watching them. Your he other was, friend, Matthew, who is my doppelganger. Yes, <laughs> he is. He's Mr. C uh, to your 
Doug I'm the good one? <laughs> or no, I'm the one who just kind of like daughters through life. And yeah, gets, you're, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have time to sit and think and marinate on everything. I was just like, what? What's going on? Okay, next. Let me let me see what's up. Um, and I w- it was wonderful, but I also was like, oh, I wish I had the time to sit around and, like, talk with friends and, like, think this out, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Uh, which we get to do at length every week. Every single week. Um, I mean, the speed at which I watched it was almost so that I could have that space between. Like, yeah. I didn't want to not have any of that space. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have too much space, you get what happened within, like, the first week where parts one through four came out and then people had that entire two week gap until part five where they're just like i'm convinced that half of the storyline is taking place in 2003 and then we had to deal with that in the fan community for like two weeks and i'm i bet there's still like some stragglers who are committed to that because of some license plate stickers (laughs) um huh it'll be it'll be an interesting thing to see when like it's just 18 hours and people can go through it at whatever pace they choose. You know, will people stop to, to make their theories or will they just be propelled through it? I don't know. I think it's very bingeable because it's so compelling. Uh, I will say that watching, watching the series, I mean, Firewalk with Me is a good transition tonally, like in terms of the gradient from what Twin Peaks originally felt like. Firewalk with me was very scary. I should not have watched it at one in the morning. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. Mulholland Drive is the scariest movie I've ever seen. I, like, could not, like, walk around with the lights out for, like, a year. When you, when you saw Patrick Fischler in The Return, the guy who passes out behind the Winkies, we were just like, oh, no, where's the, <laughs> where's the Winkies demon? The Woodsman looks like... Yeah, no, we, yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. You, you had some flashbacks? Yeah, they're creepy, man. And we got some Woodsman this week, too. We got hello, Woodsman. Let's do it. That's it? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Well, wait, we gotta... I mean, oh, what's the one thing we, we haven't asked Jess about, though, in terms of her reaction so far? What do you mean? How, what did you think of part eight when you got to it, though? Oh. The flashback oh, part. Right yeah. Well, here's what I'll say, is that I had heard so much hype already okay, about so episode you were like, eight. <laughs> I heard so much hype. Um, and it's only half the episode, was that... I thought it was going to be, like, some sort of, like, magical bottle episode where, like, it literally just opens, like, in some strange place where, like, nobody cares. Like, you're like, what am I even watching? But no, there was, like, a bunch of, like, Dougie shit yeah. on top or something. Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, it was Doppelcoop. Doppelcoop. It was Doppelcoop. Mr. C. Yeah. Dopp- I like Doppelcoop. And then some Nine Inch Nails. Oh, right. Actually, can we get a Nine Inch Nails update? You know, they had a new EP come out. Are you still, are you still oh. on the wagon? <laughs> I heard about that. Um, so you are. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm really busy listening to the new Tyler, the Creator album. I'm not even going to lie. So. I feel like there's a connection between Tyler, the Creator, and Twin Peaks. There what, has to be. What if he just shows up? Is, but I feel like he might like it. Aesthetically, maybe. Maybe. He's doing some new stuff. If you haven't listened to that album, you should. Tyler, uh, Tyler the Creator was game when he appeared on Eric Andre, and I feel like anybody who's in that mindset is, like, down for Twin Peaks. Have you seen <laughs> the um, American Rap Ninja Warrior skit on Eric Andre? Is that the one that ends with Who Killed Hannibal? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. But, like... 
ASAP Rocky's in it, Danny Brown is in it, there are some other rappers in it, and they just do this, like, janky American Ninja Warrior course that Eric Andre has set up in his studio, and it's my favorite thing that I've ever seen in my entire life, and they're blindfolded and rapping the whole time. I have seen this. It's my favorite thing. Now, now that you mentioned the blindfolds, I do remember this. This is our new Eric Andre podcast, Twin Peaks Peaks. It's very conceptual. Um, let's talk about the episode. And we're starting this week in the town of Twin Peaks with yet another character who we thought was dead, but is not. Our girl Miriam crawling out of the grass. In a moment very reminiscent of... Ronette. Ronette. Also got shades of Jeffrey Beaumont discovering the ear in Blue Velvet. Just kind of yes. the, the the Lynchian trope of like, it's here's just American idyllic American life. life. <laughs> <laughs> Three boys playing catch, one of whom is one of Warren Frost's grandson. I don't know if it's uh, Mark Frost's son or not, but Travis Frost, I believe, is the oldest boy oh. playing catch there. And then, yeah, Miriam's there. And Miriam pulled the Johnny Horn, is not dead. I This is a fun surprise. People <laughs> not being dead when you think they are dead. It, More shows should do this. It makes me... I said that, but that is a trope. <laughs> yeah, it is a trope. More for, it's, is there a name for that trope? Like on a like a like a TV no, trope? No, that's, that's like a soapy trope. But this is this is a parody this soap. Is, yeah. yeah, not anymore. But it's hey, still in some ways a little bit, a little bit. We got back to our roots a little bit in this episode. Yeah, yeah, especially the stuff we'll talk about later with Becky and mm-hmm. so on. And uh, I feel like this. I mean, we, like, knock on wood, Miriam is alive for now, but apparently people could see that she was breathing in the trailer last week, and people were just like, oh, they're just so sloppy. And it's like, no, they maybe wanted you to notice that. To, like, oh, yeah, it, it seemed like that trailer was going to blow up. Yeah, that was also what we were led to believe, is that it doesn't matter. Yeah, so, so, but I do remember the breathing. So, a, a, like, a bit of a surprise there. It makes more sense why they would cut inside then a little bit to set yeah. this up. Such a good filmmaker. I mean, this scene, even the boys throwing the ball around... I was like, oh my god! Panning. Did you, I was did you like, think that one of them was going to get hit again? There was that moment, definitely yeah. when they run into the street. But I also was just like, well, this camera work implies we are a person watching this happening. Mm-hmm. The panning back and forth. There was a little mm-hmm. bit of like handheld movement. This was like a direct POV shot. Yeah, which just built up the tension, which would otherwise be a very boring shot of t- boys playing catch. Yeah. So, Miriam's alive, and we got the inkling that maybe dumb Deputy Chad pulled a letter from the wrong Miriam last week, mm-hmm. going on the names on the envelope versus the credits. Oh. So this and the credits are, are important. The credits we've are seen, important, as we've seen just this week. Yeah, um, you were even talking about the name of this child. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, it, I, I would guess that these boys calling in Miriam, and then Miriam not only gets to say, like, hey, I was attacked by Richard Horn, but like they might still even have her letter because Chad is incompetent. Yeah. So, either way, hopefully Richard's going down. But we don't yeah. see him this week. We get time instead with Becky and Shelly and Norma starting out and Carl Fraud. And it, things just pop off really fast. They pop the fuck off. <laughs> you barely get a moment, and then all of a sudden Shelly's on the roof of a car staring directly at yeah. you. That shot was amazing. Beautiful. Oh um, that was a return to form mm-hmm. of some like physical comedy, some soapy moments. Um, 
Becky screaming gave me such Cheryl Lee vibes because I had watched Fire Walk with me in that it was in I was playing in the background while I was doing something else this weekend. Um, but it was such a good sh- background movie. Oh my god! <laughs> no. I was like gonna pay attention, then I like looked up halfway through the movie and was like, oh fuck. Um, <laughs> but it was such a Cheryl Lee moment. I, I really like that from Amanda Seyfried's performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, she. Immediately, like putting in great work, and this is obviously the most screen time we've got with Becky so far. And I was worried that we were going to kind of forget about this plot line, and by extension, I guess forget more about Shelly and Bobby and have Bobby's like involvement in the investigation take the forefront. But no, instead, we just get before we go to Jack Rabbit's palace, we get all this. Um, we gotta talk about Precious Harry Dean Stanton and oh his magic VW summoning flute. <laughs> <laughs> I love his little fat trout fiefdom that he's like set up because it seems like it's almost like just apart from Twin Peaks as we've discussed but then he still got he still has his sign that says don't bother me he's mm-hmm. keeping tabs on all his residents yep. uh, he's got a VW van with a radio unit he can directly like call into the sheriff's department with yep. <laughs> yeah the direct to 911 line yeah so Carl's like got it hooked up <laughs> Um, But also, Harry, again, putting in the performance of, like, this softer side of Carl that we didn't really see in Fire Walk with me. He's been like a guardian angel this whole series so far. He's really softened up since we last saw him. And it is Carl who says, why don't we just call your husband, Shelly? He doesn't even say anything. Norma says to call. Oh, oh, am I wrong? And And then Harry Dean Stanton says, I have Mrs. Briggs. Which I was like, oh my god, what a relief. (laughs) But no. (laughs) Right. Um... I will say, disappointed by how little normal we get. We get normal, I like, know. looking at them in the she diner. She has, like, but... no lines except for on the phone. Yeah. We're going to find out some stuff about her later. We have to find... We don't know we what's going on. We have to have an installment of... Drape Runner Corner. So we can talk about Ed and Nadine. We but... know the gas farm is still active. Yeah. We mm-hmm. saw Run Silent, Run Drapes, so let's just put two and two together. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the the real OTP in our podcast artwork. Uh, Bobby and Shelly Briggs. Uh, now, <laughs> Becky puts, like, what, five, six holes in a door in an apartment yep. complex, and Bobby, as a deputy in this, I mean, in, admittedly in this small town that hired Bobby, a cocaine dealer who secretly killed one or two people. Do not talk about Bobby people. that way. <laughs> no, he's our sweet boy, but he did, he made he made some mistakes early on, and he's still able to be a cop, so we I guess he can... We of Laura's murder, like... <laughs> yeah, I guess, considering that... The other cops are fucking Chad and Jesse. There's there's, someone has to do patrols. Andy's just on Amazon with Lucy all day. (laughs) Hawk and and Truman are on their like vision quest together. Oh my god! Chad never leaves the break room, so. Someone's got to do traffic duty, right? <laughs> Chad's got to eat his two lunches every day. I am obsessed with Silver Fox Bobby Briggs. Yes. yes. He is daddy. He is. <laughs> Thank you for being, I think, the first, even though I've... Have we both bought this? I have not. <laughs> okay, not okay. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. He's great. And he sits down with his estranged wife and his daughter to talk about the fact that 
Becky put some holes in an apartment door this week. Yeah. Shot with intent to injure or potentially kill. And Bobby's mm-hmm. just like, all right, you're going to have to pay for the door. And Becky's like, I don't have money and I'm not going to. <laughs> and I'm not going to pay for someone's door. Um, Such shades of young Bobby, though. We've, are, we've already seen Caleb Landry Jones, Stephen, um, and uh, Stephen's uh, mistress at this point. And you didn't realize who it was, Jess. No. That was Alicia Witt reprising her role as Gersten Hayward, of all people. Who is that? What? I can't remember. I literally just watched the whole series, and I don't even know who you're talking about. The um, youngest Hayward sister. The redheaded piano Hayward sister. Oh, <laughs> God. The piano girl. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> oh I, I, I missed it at first, too, and then I saw Alicia Witt's name in the credits, yes. and I was like, who was she? Where was she? Wow. And it's just that briefest shot. Um, She's coming back, though. There's no way they're letting that go. I really hope not, because... They're having so much fun so bringing wait, back characters. What other Haywards were there? Harriet. Mm-hmm. With a young lesbian haircut. Like to write poetry. Uh, and then Donna. Well, Donna's technically a horn, as we discovered, but, you know. When did that happen? What? <laughs> so I think we only see Harry in the first couple episodes, right? Sure. We see her in the pilot. Yeah. she covers for Donna when Donna goes to hang out with Mike and Bobby late at night. Yeah. But we don't meet oh. Gersten until, like, until, season two. No. Leland no, because Leland already has white hair at that point. You're I right. just mean he's come back in The Return. Who's just Gersten. That's what I'm saying. No other hate words. Well, we see, we see Doc Hayward. We see Doc well, Hayward. That's yes. it. Okay, good. That's all I was checking. I was like, <laughs> what other hate words have we seen in The Return? Is what yeah. I meant yeah. to ask. Um, and again, thankful that there's no Donna thus far, um, unless Donna is secretly like turned into a woodsman or something. Could happen for the amount that Donna has messed with people's lives. I mean, but wait, now Gersten is like. In some Picking shit. up the Donna mantle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, Steven, Steven's really the one to blame here. Steven oh, is yeah, of course. Uh, shitty. That shot, the the, the quick, like, dolly that shot through the hallways so and down the stairs. Reminiscent of The Shining. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Oh, so many movie references this episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, David loves Kubrick, and I guess Who it was vice versa, so. Um, <laughs> Becky's just like off scot free because Bobby's gonna learn. Deputy Briggs is good. Yeah, Uh, doesn't want to take money from Shelly, but will take money from Bobby. And for the briefest moment at that table, you can make yourself believe that oh, that ring around Shelly's neck is because she and Bobby are in love and they care for about their kid. And we just haven't seen them together at this point. And then fucking Balthazar Getty shows up and ruins. Everything. Yep. Real weird behavior on Shelly's part. Hugging her emotionally distressed daughter, who they've determined is probably being physically abused by her husband, catches the glimpse of a man we know to be, at the very least, a drug dealer in Twin Peaks, and uh, just scurries outside for a little rendezvous. Right in front of Bobby. Playing a... Wordlessly. Does not excuse yourself to get up. Just gets up. and, 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 I mean, it's a... Call back to the very first episode when Bobby and Shelly started macking outside of the double R. Uh, it's, yeah, and it's right on the heels of Becky's very unconvincing, like, 
statement that oh no he doesn't he doesn't hurt me and and so forth and it already is establishing like as, as we talked about last episode when we cut to uh steven and becky's trailer like establishing that becky is in kind of like a, a cycle uh that we can see the echo of shelly and leo in and mm-hmm. so for the moment you're just thinking like okay we're confirming that and like her parents are here like they're gonna try to do something we know bobby has become like this good man even he though you see his temper start to flare up and then you just get punched in the gut with this yeah that shelly is also still trapped inside her own cycle yeah because bobby seems to have like i again if somehow he turns out to be even the slightest bit dirty i will be so sad but I no don't. Way. I don't believe it. He's a good boy. He he's cries a- all the time, and every time he <laughs> cries, I cry. He's he has made good, but apparently, for whatever reason, that wasn't good enough for Shelley, and I am heartbroken. Honestly, truly disappointing that he wasn't crying at that time table at the diner. <laughs> he really had to hold it in. Yeah. Um. Any other thoughts on on? I mean, I had a feeling that it was yeah. going to play out this way. I knew they, that I, yeah, I had a feeling no they would have married to... and split, but it's still sad to have it confirmed. I guess yeah. it is a little disappointing that Bobby just takes Becky at her word that she's like not being abused within the world of the show because we've seen him I, I, observe like Shelley's marriage. I think they're trying to be really good parents. They're and trying they to know. I think on his face, he knows that that's bullshit. No, I think so yeah. too, but at the same time. Um, and he does, he does, you see that glimmer of the old angry Bobby come out when he threatens to bring down Steven. Yeah. Uh, the slightest, you know, sign of, of well, and I but within, the, within the letter of the law. Within the letter of the law, yes. They no, will arrest him for the very, <laughs> very illegal he's, crimes. He's going to go to Steven's bike and he's going to put a bag of cocaine in it. It's going to work out for <laughs> Um... And then we, so we're just coming to grips with Bobby the father and Bobby the divorcee, and then we get to see Bobby the off-duty cop. Yes, spring into action. Yeah. Um, the fuck, this whole sequence was amazing. Like it was yeah. so good. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. I say the exterior is so reminiscent of when we were in North Bend. I, when we, this is not the scene that mm-hmm. we saw. Yeah, so we've been peppering this throughout, I guess, I mean, I guess people know if they listen to that way back when, that we saw them film a scene at night at the double R. So when we cut there, I was like, is this the scene? No, this was so much better, because we, I can confirm we did not see this being filmed. Um, But we basically saw Dana Ashbrook walk right over the spot where we were standing as we were watching them film uh, that night scene when we visited. Um... But, yeah, the the kid with the gun into the horn honking, into the creepy as fuck vomiting. Um, Straight out the exorcist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a zombie child. I don't, I don't know what to make of this scene other than I was riveted the entire time. Like, one, I will say, whoever that kid is who fired the gun, who then just stands there looking like a petulant little shit. And it's like yeah. Bobby is, like, looking through the ages back to, like young shitty Bobby Briggs and was like fuck man that that part was amazing and then it quickly goes even further off the rails yeah somehow <laughs> so, somehow it was uh, reminiscent of the the I don't I don't just say this because there was cars and lots of loud noises but like reminiscent of the same tension in that scene in Firewalk with me when Laura and Leland are in the car and then uh, Mike the one-armed man pulls yeah. up and starts gesturing like just 
People yelling out of cars. People yelling out of cars, but also this feeling of, like, there's something unresolved that, like, needs to, like, Yeah, it's, like, another weird gesture to, like, the modern American, like, uh, modern American um, condition in in a way. Like gun control, camo, like kids getting hold of guns, like road rage. Right, there's like of, a lot there. It's like the J- Jacoby stuff, like yeah. this, like super poignant political relevant now point of view. Without yeah. being too heavy handed, and then with also just some creepy vomiting to cap it yes. off and keep you like not on your game of like exactly. just reading this as like oh the camo country bumpkin family with the gun blah blah like no then you're just gonna get like yeah something straight out of the exorcist (laughs) um and you also see that as we alluded to deputy jesse is bad at his job no i feel like people suspected that he was a dirty cop but i feel like jesse is just he's andy he's he's andy jr (laughs) i was at the gas farm and I heard shots, and it's like, okay, just do your, <laughs> do your job, <laughs> man. Um, so this little girl, though, vomiting little girl, reminded me of the flashback scenes mm-hmm. of the other little girl we've seen. I was thinking about that. Uh, bug bug frog <gasps> moth thingy crawling into bug your face. mouth. Bug face. Bug face, we'll call it. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking about that earlier today because I was trying to think of, like, other instances of like not just like you know a corpse but like body horror and like obviously right. the most recent one would be uh that and frog also moth thing frog moth and then doppelcoop doppelcoop and dougie's demise yeah, yeah. so at least it wasn't it, at least there wasn't visible cream corn in the vomit because otherwise then we would seriously know things were right bad that might just yeah. be how small children vomit in the town of twin peaks for all we know <laughs> No, I, I love Dana doing an even more amazing face acting, just like his bewildered look like. I wonder if this is what being a cop in Twin Peaks is like day to day, actually. Remember how insane of an actor Dana was in the original Twin Peaks? Mm-hmm. Yes. It was truly jarring. <laughs> and now he's, mwah, chef kissing his fingers good. Yeah, he's so good. Um, well, is, are, are we good on the on the Bobby Briggs like arc of the episode, I guess. I mean, I'm never good on Bobby Briggs. Give me a Bobby series. Yeah, yes. spinoff. Because his Bobby interview Briggs was Vulture, thing. where mm-hmm. Vulture was like, "You have like the second greatest character arc that we've seen thus far." This was an interview for like Part Nine or something. It's like, yeah, yeah, you do, Bobby. I would watch if David didn't want to come back. I would still watch like a Mark Frost spinoff procedural or like Monster of the Week where Bobby just like does some like spooky conspiracy Illuminati crime solving. And then tries to win his wife back. And tries to win his wife back. Imagine leave Riverdale. It doesn't have legs for that much longer. I think it's a total spinoff. He moves to a new city. Or just put, honestly, just put Dana Ashbrook in Riverdale. Like, that'd be fine. Um, as another kid at the high school? <laughs> yeah, as a, no, as a kid at the high school, not as, like, another one of the parents, yeah. Like, that's Steve Buscemi. <laughs> yeah, he just comes in with a skateboard. Hey, what's up, fellow kids? Um, I have seen Dana recently with his hair dyed, and it doesn't look as good. No, so he just stay silver fox. Yeah. My hair is lit. I am 33 years old, and my hair is literally dyed silver on purpose right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time we've seen him in his, uh, not in his uniform so far in the new series. 
and he was... still has the leather jacket. I it know. Looks so cool. I also noticed that uh, Red has a very similar leather jacket. Oh yeah, no, Red's definitely just like the the more Single dangerous white femaleing Bobby. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, let's let's get going because uh, we have to talk about my least favorite scene: Hawk's map. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> What is there to say? It's a map. We talk about some stuff we knew. We see a symbol that we've seen before, and Hawk's not going to tell us about it. Yeah, we over-elaborate on symbols that attentive viewers already know about, and then say, hey, what about the one that you've been teasing all these episodes? I mean, it's kind of brilliant, in a way. Just be like, nope, no information here. You don't want to know about it, Mm -hmm. is the thing. It is nicely foreboding, but like Hawk just, again, dipping back into the well of Hawk as the... Uh, Native American uh, lore exposition dump. Make him him a narrator, Red Shoe Diary style. (laughs) (laughs) Or Gossip Girl. Desperate Housewives. Just just show these two doing some real gumshoe stuff instead of Hawk just being like, all right, I've dug back through my, my boxes again, and well, here's what I found this time. You, you got have, some evidence on the table. You have Frank's face. You have Frank this whole time being like, yeah, Hawk, what's your point? <laughs> like, Frank is basically doing to Hawk in this scene what he does to, to Wally. <laughs> He's literally like, okay, yeah. Like, that's... Frank is, like, the stand-in for the audience. Maybe Ma- maybe Margaret just calls and be like, Hawk, your map is, like, telling us <laughs> things we already know. Just know that things are going to be fucked up when you get there tomorrow. Seriously, watch out. Here's the Let's one... finish the scene. <laughs> Here's the one thing I really was like, okay, if this happens next, I'll be very satisfied, which is when Hawk and Margaret hang up. I just wanted Frank to be like, so... Like, what's up with you two? Like, <laughs> was there ever, like, a thing, or... <laughs> uh, Margaret Landerman was secretly Diane Shapiro, PhD Brandeis the whole time. Um, I would have loved that. Uh, again, great to see Catherine Coulson, um, but we can't let Jesse's second appearance go unnoticed. He just busts in is like, do you want to see my new car, Sheriff Truman? <laughs> like, I love this guy now. He's had just as much screen time now as he's had in the previous episodes, but now he's one of my favorites. <laughs> but there's got to be a reason. What's up with this car? There must be something to the car. There's got to be something with that car. <laughs> I bet the car's license plate are the coordinates that uh, are on... No. His car is a giant moth lizard. <laughs> <laughs> His car has been vomiting out in the parking lot this whole time. Uh, okay. Well, I think that's, uh, that's it for Twin Peaks then. So let's move on to Buckhorn, South Dakota, where we get another beautiful establishing shot of actually beat Montana. And then <laughs> in an odd move, a detective and three agents of the FBI take a suspect out to <laughs> out to a mysterious site that the suspect says, hey, this is where it went down. Just keep me in the car. <laughs> what are you saying? This happens all the time. <laughs> Bill Hastings is a good man. <laughs> Bill Hastings is a good man. He never did anything wrong, and they know that. So yeah, just I guess I, I guess yeah. At that point, they already know he's not innocent. He's just now he's just kind of just fried permanently. <laughs> so this whole sequence, I mean, I put it, initially it was in uh, like thirty six point uh, font in the. Google notes that we're keeping, uh, but I wrote Carcosa in our notes because we need to talk about True Detective now, at least a little bit, because the parallels are too much to go unstated. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, actually, I think you were the one who actually put me on to True Detective when I when I watched yeah. the first season. We're talking about the first season, yeah. not whatever. Did they uh, do three? Apparently, Mahershala Ali is going to do it. So, oh, okay, I, I might be back on board. Um, Get my man an Emmy. But yeah, talking about specifically Russ Cole and spoilers for True Detective. I've seen all okay, of it. Yeah, okay. it's good. This is for listeners. If you haven't seen it, I mean, I guess. So, so tell me what you were thinking. The the portal that Gordon sees yes. specifically. Yeah. Yes. Um, so there's the whole Yellow King ending in was was the place called Carcosa specifically? Yes. Yeah. And Rust has one of his like hallucinations right as he's about to be attacked. Ooh, yeah, he does. Uh, and it's of this like whirling vortex just appearing out of nowhere. And it's like one of the most striking images of the whole show. And here we see like and, and that was a show where like Every other think piece on it at the time was like Twin Peaks, <laughs> except for the part where it like basically gave somehow even less space to like female characters to breathe than the original series of Twin Peaks did, and all these things. Um, but also, all the weird stuff was like explained in fiction as like, well, Russ was got some acid flashbacks constantly, and that was it. Like you knew there yeah. wasn't like you could say like in the themes of the show there was like symbology and, and so forth and these things were coming at like particular times right and it was also wrapped up in a cult that had a lot of like visual symbology associated with it but like there was no uh, notion of any of this being actually supernatural no it actually gave you like supernatural blue balls at the end of it like <laughs> when it was wrapped up you were like oh it's just some it was guy. just normal <laughs> that's boring and he just like cuts beer cans apart and then go like time is a flat circle but he never actually time traveled he just like dropped a lot of acid meanwhile Gordon Cole like has our most like sci-fi ish experience yet and unlike when we're following Matthew McConaughey's Russ Cole's also two Cole's not important probably not intended but um well, we're following Matthew McConaughey, we just, like, see this portal, and we, as, like, the viewer sees it, but here we very explicitly cut away to then just David Lynch standing there in a the field, and everyone's so standing there. Funny. Fucking so good. love that David wrote this for himself. Mm-hmm. I waffle a little bit on how I feel about the fact that David wrote himself such a big part, but, like, David Lynch, like, waving his hands at nothing in the air, yes. <laughs> it's it's a perfect, like, anyone who's ever, like, given David Lynch shit for his transcendental meditation stuff, like, I feel like he kind of knows the scene indicates as much. I knew they were going to cut to that wide before they did. I was like, we're going to cut back and see, like, what is everyone else seeing? And it was... Perfect. It's also important for, like, the storytelling because we know that, like, we get confirmation that Gordon Albert, it's not just, like, we, the audience, are seeing these woodsmen. Gordon and Albert see one. Diane sees one. Mm -hmm. But uh, Mackley and Hastings are unaware, and... It's but they could easily just not be paying attention. Right. If yeah. they had looked in the right place at the right time, they would have also seen the woodsman. Probably. That seems to be the case. It yeah. seems like only Gordon can see the thing. I really, What I really love is Albert's right. perspective here, where Albert can see Gordon getting pulled. And, like, Albert's prepared. Like, whatever's happened in the last 25 years since, like, Philip Jeffries and so forth, they're kind of in the know about whatever this is now, which is a huge confirmation mm-hmm. for us that they're this much closer to, like, the Lodge mythology. And they're stuff. the men in black. Yeah. 
Like that's that's yep. fully them now because we know they have a protocol for like if I start like phasing out of existence, you've got to pull me back in. Like, I don't think that it was just that Gordon was the only person who could see it. I think that you had to be standing in that right, spot. Right, exactly. No, and yeah, that's why he totally had to right. just physically pull him back or right. from Which, it. Which, Tammy gets that info. Mm-hmm. And she's doing some real detective work, but once again is getting left out of all the important conversations. Yeah. Um, and rest in peace, poor Bill Hastings. We Matthew barely knew really. you. <laughs> what a run. Um, great. We now know that the woodsman pretty much only killed by exploding her head, so that's valuable info. Um, we <laughs> also find Ruth Davenport's body. Oh, there's a painting. Oh, I meant to look this up. It's actually not even a painting. It's a work of art. I'm going to look it up. Is it like reminiscent of the hand sticking out of the grass? It's the whole body. It's uh, it's in the Philadelphia Museum. I'm going to look okay. it up. I feel like I know what you're thinking of. It's, it's, it's in, one of my favorite meantime, works of art. I don't want to skip over this. We Can we just acknowledge... Um, Detective Mackley's amazing. Oh my god. <laughs> that was another like uh, very classic Lynch line delivery. In, that and like the, the woman arguing about having to go somewhere. Very Lynch. Uh-huh. Uh, also he then confirms like in, in a throwaway line almost that the, the address they pulled up to that Hastings provided them. Uh, it's like Sycamore Street. So much yes. like where Dougie reappeared after Lodge and as we know the circle of Sycamore Tree is so like they're very... Which is also the name of a uh, song on Firewalk With Me. Uh-huh. They're very explicitly linked. So, what is the painting? The work of art is uh, a Tante Donnez. It's uh, Marcel Duchamp's last major work of art, which uh, surprised most of the art world. Um, it was also very different from any other work he had ever done before. Because... Um, yeah, Duchamp, that is very similar. <laughs> Uh, what Duchamp did like the, the, the ready maids and stuff, right? He did the ready maids. He did the uh, the urinal, right? Yeah. So he did a lot of like pop art or whatever that movement was. I'm not gonna remember right now. And this is like a gorgeous, like almost neoclassical work of art. It's also like a multimedia. It's like a sculpture and a painting. Yeah. Um, and if you Google it, oh. Marcel Duchamp, E T A N T space D O N N E S. It's in the Philadelphia Museum of Art. You just made the most cultured poll we've ever had as a reference. I on saw the show. it immediately, yeah. and I was like, "This is." There's no way this is not a reference to Duchamp. Interesting. I mean, it, it, looking at it, it looks yeah. It's a, it's a painting. It's also if you're looking at this in the museum, the the picture, the painting is a, you can't see the woman's head. It's a naked woman lying in grass, and you can't mm-hmm. see her head. And and in the museum, it's three dimensional. It's it's you're looking through a crack in a big wooden door to see this. Oh image. really? Oh, and wow. so you constantly try and look and see if you can see the woman's head, and you can't. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, almost assuredly a reference that that makes it yeah. must be that also makes the presentation of the body then more interesting because otherwise it was just like a mirror to the already nude Major Briggs corpse we've seen um, and kind of just another like visceral we're on cable we can go full (laughs) bore kind of shot no it was truly Um, my first thought was wow what a voluptuous woman is this nope this is a this is a painting this is a painting this is like a crazy reference cool awesome Uh, and Albert pulls some coordinates and I guess skipping ahead to uh, the scene that we saw teased with a 30 second clip of just David Lynch eating a donut that they released back in December. Uh, they go to do their little debrief. 
Uh, and I'll get to that. I'll say first, Albert shows the picture that he took of the coordinates and then catches Diane looking and Diane catches him catching her. Do we think that Albert might have doctored that photo to try and trick Diane because he knew that or I suspects that she's a double agent at this point. seems like a possibility given the fact that they are talking very openly with Diane and not Tammy about things that are happening. Also, like, they have been consistently, like, two steps ahead throughout this whole thing. Yeah. Gordon's lack of surprise at the backwards word and all this stuff. So, uh, I, I, I'm leaning towards this was so explicitly called attention to that Albert probably has had, you know, has that trick up his sleeve. Um, or at the very least, they should be monitoring every outgoing communication Diane oh, has I now, for sure. So. Um, they already were. Yeah, guys. Yeah. And Gordon has a very worrying shake that is reminiscent of the lead up to the end of season two when we saw Dales and Pete's and several other townspeople's hands starting to shake as uh, we got closer and closer to the finale. Um, do we think that that's similar to like the arm going numb? Is this a suggestion that we're getting too close here to some malevolent lodge forces? Maybe, but I also was just wondering, what if Wyndham Earl comes back? <laughs> that was what you were about? Oh, no. Once you said season two, I was like, what if? Oh, uh, I hope... I I think we're getting closer to... I think we've retroactively written that out of Twin Peaks history. Yeah, it feels like he was a red herring the whole time. Like, even the finale is like, bah, ha, ha, Wyndham Earl doesn't matter. <laughs> Literally, like, they just show Bob destroying his yeah, soul. No, so. Um... I, I, I don't think so. I think we're, we're getting closer because Gordon has a vision, uh, which even talks about bearded men. Um, oh, God, that shot. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this long, this long shot. Well, no, not the shot through the portal. The mm. shot where he says, I saw a room with bearded men. <laughs> that shot is a, long, is a wide mm-hmm. shot. It's a long, unedited shot. It's slowly pushing in, and the camera jostles. <laughs> it, it, it's it's slightly pans ever so slightly to correct the framing of the shot right as David Lynch looks right into the lens of the camera to say it was a room with bearded men (laughs) and I was just like wow like it has to be so deliberate like that they chose this shot even though the camera moves it's like this weird meta like I'm David Lynch and I'm talking to the camera right now Mm. Uh, yeah I'm I would not, like, I mean, I thought they were getting meta with the, literally confronting David with Laura's image last week, being like, remember, Laura Palmer is important here, too. Um, yeah. It's, we've gotten, so, we gotten so much Gordon Cole, and like you said, he's written himself this role that is so active. Uh, I will say, as a filmmaker... I feel like they're just writing whatever the best story is. I don't think that they care how much or how little David Lynch has to be in it. Do you you feel that way, Ashley? Do Do you think it's indulgent or not? I don't know if it's... I don't know. I'm a little torn because, like, someone had to step into Dale Cooper's shoes and it wasn't going to be Albert. And, like, would it have been easier to introduce a new character? Probably not. 
Just bring back Chris Isaac and say, like, he came back eventually. <laughs> he turned up. <laughs> he turned up. Um, yeah, I, I also... <laughs> it was going through the uh, the cast list again, because uh, I, th- I was trying to confirm the the Travis Frost thing. And if I'm not mistaken, I also saw Mark's name, which maybe, maybe Mark will come back as his uh, newscaster that he played in season one. Who knows? Uh, and maybe that'll just... Maybe he'll just have a whole episode to himself. That would be indulgent. Um... Yeah, Gordon, I, I wonder about how close he's getting, because now he has had eyes on this other place, oh, which God, is a staircase guys. very similar to the Palmer household. And can I can I get this? Sorry, yeah. First? yeah. Go ahead. I alluded that there was an, uh, another reference to Fire Walk With Me, and eagle-eyed uh, viewers across all the internet forums paused that frame and saw that you can see a sliver between two of the woodsmen standing on that staircase of the same wallpaper that's in... In the painting that the uh, Chalfonts give yes. to Laura in Fire Walk With Me. The mm-hmm. kind of painting that Laura enters through to enter the uh, Red Room, the Lodge, what have you. So they're in the same-ish place and given how we've seen that wallpaper before, it's like they're in something that looks very closely from the framing and that and that set dressing to the Palmer household. So please, God, please give me some Sarah Palmer next episode. Please. <laughs> I want to see Grace Zabriskie. <laughs> anyway, wouldn't it be great if at the end, uh, Gordon and Shelly get together? Is that your, was that your brain blast that you just had? Yeah, that's my cool brain, that was my cool brain blast. I was like, you just went back to that. I mean, you guys were complaining about Gordon. I was like, I've loved Gordon every time he's been on. My favorite part was the Gordon and Shelly stuff. I thought that was so cool and sweet. So would that be indulgent? Or would it just be awesome? I would indulge me, baby. I'm up Here's that. You know what? Actually, here's the thing, though. I could be more okay with if Bobby and Shelly can't get together, then Shelly absolutely needs to be with Gordon. I think we can. I think we can say that <laughs> much for certain. Gordon be a stepdad to Becky. <laughs> I'm yeah, not here to replace your father. We get the like at the end of everything. Spin-off we get the six months two. later scene. Spinoff number two. A, a three camera sitcom starring David Lynch, Matchman, and Amanda Seyfried. <laughs> Yeah, baby. Oh, my God. I love that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And you can still have Dana because Dana could just be the, the divorced dad who pops in occasionally. No, he's got to have his own gritty procedural. And then it's followed by the Gordon, <laughs> Shelley, Amanda Seyfried. Uh, no, they're sitcom. kind of it's kind of like Modern Family. And Gordon is like, <laughs> the, what's his name? And Shelley is like you're asking someone who does not watch Modern Family. What are their names? They're so famous, all of them. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) and Amanda Seyfried is like the like pudgy little kid, (laughs) and Bobby is like the the airheaded dad. Can we have? Um, can we have in any of these spinoffs? Maybe is his own spinoff because I'm gonna move us. I'm gonna forcibly move us over to Las Vegas. Can we have Josh Fadum as Phil Bisbee uh, in either in either Bobby's or uh, Shelley's or his own? I think he can serve coffee at the Double R. Yes, mm. he's a little coffee courier. He has now. I love like. 
this is the Dougie stuff I like as opposed to last week's cringeworthy, uh, dumb sex scene. I love that the people at the office are just like, they're not more concerned for Dougie. They're just getting better at dealing with Dougie. So like Phil is just like, my routine now is I waft the coffee to like lead him where he needs to go rather than being like, hey, Dougie. Yeah, You're clearly messed up. We need to do something about this. He doesn't have to push him anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I love that, like, physical, like, comedy routine between those two. Um, and then we get a great scene with Bushnell Mullins, who I'm actually, like, happy is more of an active participant yeah. in the storyline now. And uh, he made out great, it seems like. He's really happy about all this. Um, yeah, I... Uh, any any thoughts on this scheme that they've managed to like put together so that Dougie's being ferried off to his certain doom? It seems like for a moment. Um, it is incredible. The whole Dougie storyline is an incredible nod to uh, Jacques Tati. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this was like the the most the prime example of it. It was like the most of sort of like this figure falling into their good luck. Yeah. Like the, the, the stuff where we, you know, get Dougie Cooper, the sex pot, like the, the rip. I didn't like that. But I I loved it, but I also hate it. (laughs) In terms of like, just like heightening the bit, like it hasn't been super evenly pace like we also then we get the the part where you're teased with the several episodes back with perhaps cooper reawakening but then he just starts drawing on the insurance form for that really extended scene great music well shot but like people at that point were thinking this might wrap up quicker and then didn't so like when the pacing is on for dougie it's great And, and like the heightening from don't worry they're gonna get their money we even made out good it's all good here we're gonna send you to a certain doom and then everything that comes after that to get us to the end of the episode was like this was the best in terms of constant good fortune coming dougie's way in a way that was like totally unbelievable but like i was on board for for the hilarity of it but it's still the lodge protecting him yeah, it's still what's his face beckoning him into the room mm-hmm. to get a box to get to get a way too large for a pie box yep. <laughs> the box <laughs> the box yeah and again here's here's the next film reference mm-hmm. yeah um i don't want to uh brush over the fact that uh, we get the same uh limo driver i really like that yeah. touch uh but yeah the moment he pops out with that box i was just thinking like okay they're good they're gonna fucking go to the desert and this is gonna be david lynch's Sorry. version of seven no, <laughs> in that box. the second i saw the box i just kept saying out loud what 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 they're doing that what like Briggs head is gonna be in that box. Yeah. So you you were thinking that that's what it was. I immediately thought Briggs's head was in that box. Be, that would've been amazing. Part it's of the a box. Has, box. Part of the it box. Is. Have we already checked in with Nepper and uh, Belushi? Well, I feel like he goes into the bakery or whatever, yeah. and then he emerges, and then in the in between is when we check in with Belushi. Yeah. They're adorable breakfast scene. That's very cool. Um. Like I said when they were introduced, I didn't think that it was possible to make me like Jim Belushi all that much, but he fucking kills it in all of his scenes this episode, including with his impotent rage at just really wanting to kill that guy. Um, I don't love it. You don't love it? No, I think he's like... I think he's like a weak actor. 
<laughs> I think he's like he's not trans. So he's not making the move from comedy to drama. Like when to he was do- explaining his dream, I was on board with it. I think also that didn't tell you either. Here's here's the thing for me that happened was that this episode tilted them. Last week I was like, oh, so there are Renaults, but no. The moment that you realize that things are going to turn out not not like disastrous for Dougie here, it's like, oh wait, no, they're like the Vegas Horn Brothers. Like they're mostly here for like comic (laughs) relief. Like one's Jerry, one's Ben. Um, In that case, like having Belushi be funny, like I feel like. I've seen him try to be funny and not make me laugh, and here he actually made me laugh uh, with his like physicality. So especially oh, when he gets the check and he does this little like like waddle dance over to his brother. Um, I liked that moment, but otherwise, I still feel like he's trying to be funny. And the way to be funny in Twin Peaks is to act as seriously as possible and not try to be funny. It's very mm. true. Sorry, I'm like a comedian. I'm like a comedian, <laughs> so I'm just hyper tuned. Also, I'm not sensitive to. <laughs> I'm not gonna say no one can criticize Jim Belushi because in everything else, I fucking hate him. <laughs> you guys, you guys read the the little anecdote about David Lynch's notes. Oh yes, you guys already talked about that. No, we haven't talked about this yet. Oh. Do you want to introduce the story to Ashley? I think it's just whenever they were shooting whatever scene. Um, Belushi ad-libbed a line or something, Mm -hmm. and David called cut, and he said, what did he say? Can you do the David voice, please? He he said, Jim, do I have to take you to the principal's office? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then he he shut up. (laughs) (laughs) He shut up, and he stuck to the script. He stuck to the solid gold that Frost and Lynch have been penning. Fucking love that. Um... Anyway, they're, they're raring to go. And yeah, I, I did think Briggs's head, I, as we got into the mysterious healed cut, and, and uh, I think it's, it's Rodney and, um, God, what are their names? What are their actual names? Bradley. Jim Bradley's, Belushi and Rodney. <laughs> Jim and Rodney. Uh, Rodney is Robert Nepper, and then Bradley is Jim Belushi. And Bradley's dream, like, coming together. Um, I, I I was not expecting the pie. I was I was completely yeah. caught off guard. Like even though it's obvious in retrospect, I like that we didn't yeah. see his dream and he just starts introducing it to us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's such a it's literally is a seven reference. He wanted us all to think it was a head in a box. Yeah, it's the desert. It's the same like drone overhead shots of the desert. When I started to try to outthink it and be like, okay, so it's not going to be a head, but what could it be? It's going to be something like... Pie was not on the list. No, because no. that box is just so improbably I also thought maybe just the check was in it. <laughs> you just got a box to present the... Yeah, like someone was like, you're going to drop this. So. <laughs> I, 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 but now with the reveal, I do love the idea of he wanders into this shop and no one orders a whole pie there ever, so they just have to like find a box that could fit the pie in it. Um, also, how did he make those words happen? He didn't. I'm pretty sure that the Red Lodge, the Black Lodge ordered the pie for him and it was waiting there. Yeah. He walked in and the, someone behind the counter was like, oh, here's your pie, Mr. Dougie. When we get Perhaps, when yeah. we get the deleted scenes from the return, it's going to be an extended scene between Bushnell, 
the coffee guy and <laughs> Cooper, where it's just like, how long do you need to get it to be an intelligible order for a full cherry pie? Phil was in there and he just handed it. <laughs> Phil was just like, I think Dougie wants the cherry pie. Um, there are lots of discarded like slices and other pies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they're they're happier than big shit. They got their money. The dream has come true. It was very satisfying. It was a super satisfying payoff. To and Dougie's not dead. Something, yeah. And Dougie's and, not dead. And this is around the heels of one of the oddest decisions, which was an actual montage cut to Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> which I kind of wasn't feeling in the moment, but in retrospect, I think was... I feel like when it started happening, I was like, Dave Lynch has been waiting to do this. He's always wanted his Viva Las Vegas montage. Um, super weird. But then, yeah, the, the final scene, the return of of the woman from the casino. Oh, what a beautiful moment. Yeah, like, her life is completely turned around. uh, And... She's reconnected with her son. Have you guys discussed, like, the, the, the Red Room, like, is doing good things. Like, the Red Room is protecting good Cooper. Not just protecting, but, like, also all these other side benefits seem to keep playing out, because now Ike the Spike is in jail. Yeah. Uh, th- these two, I mean, they're criminals, but apparently they're not that big. Of, they're not big shots. They've gotten their money that they actually, in this case, rightfully deserved. Right, yeah. That woman's life has been changed for the better. Like, in a dumb way, you could say Janie had a good night. Uh, but, well, we can say that Janie got a bunch of money. Like, the jackpots. Also, yeah, a bunch oh, yeah. of yeah, her money. The jackpots were for her. Uh-huh. They paid off the, the um, actual manufactured Dougie's debt, so... Uh, it's not just like, oh, Cooper's safe. There's like a lot of unintended spillovers here, too. There's like, they have to wrap up all of the threads of the of Dougie's life so that good yeah. Coop can eventually just run away scot-free. And meanwhile, we're Mr. All hoping. meanwhile, Mr. C's just like fucking shit up left and right, yeah. uh, completely ruining the karmic balance of people who look like Kyle MacLachlan in this world. <laughs> but Philip Gerard is looking out for Dougie. Philip Gerard is looking... I really hope that we see Philip Gerard ask Philip Gerard, like, not in the red he room. wants to leave the lodge, though. Well, because he's the... He's the, the... The yin to Bob's yang. Like, they used to kill together, all of that. Yeah. So, clearly, like, the Black Lodge is a place of great power, but it's of both... Both positive and negative forces yeah. come from this place. And so what has otherwise been, like, a place that we've all dreaded and it seems like nothing but bad can come from it, it's like we're realizing that, out, no, this is just the source of all good and evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this episode reminded me, like, we've been at such a remove since the first couple parts from the Lodge itself. Like, we've seen uh, Cooper's visions of the Lodge come to him, but, like, I feel like maybe the expectation goes going in was that we'd get even more of the like red room and its mythology but we immediately abandon it and blow that space out and like the cosmology of all those spaces to the purple place and now wherever the woodsmen hang out and their like black and white version of the convenience store which I guess is the same place we saw in Firewalk with me. What is the good, what is the Philip Gerard version of woodsmen like are there like crazy now, like angels walking around? Well there was, there was Now the red room rather than being foreboding is actually like a good thing. It's like a waiting room, right? 
we still are out on like calling that anything more than the red room or the yeah. waiting room. Like, yeah. is it the lodge itself? We don't know. Are we seeing? Have we seen any of the lodges at this Maybe point? We haven't. Hard Maybe to pin down. But yeah. um, I do want to see Philip. I just want to see. I want to see. I want to see a man sell some shoes. I want to see a man sell some shoes. Maybe to a man who lost his shoes when he traveled through an electrical <laughs> socket. Who knows? Anyway, Mandy, Candy, Sandy turn up. They cut the pie. We get the briefest glimmer of a regular-ass, Dale Cooper-ass, Kyle McLaughlin delivery of damn good. And we hear some new order covers on the piano and a beautiful piece of new music from, from Angelo. Yes. Yeah. Um... And that's it. It's a, like amazing capper to an episode. I feel like it was a really good episode. Yeah. After the last two weeks, which were kind of over expositiony for part nine and then part ten, which just for whatever the impact of a lot of those scenes were, was really uncomfortable to watch and didn't carry on the plot in the way I wanted. Also, then there was again the really dumb sex scene not gonna let that off the hook um this one was like this is but this is what i wish every episode was barring like sometimes you need some part eights sometimes you need some part sevens where you're just laying the groundwork Um, the the way that i view i know this was last week's episode but the way i viewed the sex scene was like crossing another thing off the list of things that aren't going to wake good coop out of yes possibly and and, and pie is now on that list as well yeah Um, it's the close come the closest but mm-hmm. it's like, oh, is coffee just going to be the thing that wakes him up? Is it seeing this person? Is it hearing this word? Is it just having some sex? I not any of these. I'm hoping that the the waking up process is something that nobody is made, has managed to like theorize around. Like, I hope that we're all just taken aback by like how we actually get to this point. Yeah. Um, and they're just teasing us so much with it. And but like this episode, those teased those teases worked for me. I don't know. Um, other other thoughts on all the revelations, pairings that have been confirmed and then immediately unconfirmed, and I felt like excited after watching this episode, which I haven't really felt with the last few, with the exception of eight, and I don't even know that I felt excited after eight. I felt very confused after eight. Yeah, yeah. in a, like in a good way again because we really enjoyed eight, but I feel really excited for part twelve, and I also feel like this would have been really fun to watch at Comic Con. Mm. Lame as that is to say. No one leaked it. No one leaked a single spoiler from what I saw about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Expecting some. And imagine if it had been like part ten instead. Like this is like (laughs) there are some there are some great moments for people who are really into the return right now in this episode. There are some small callbacks and and then large ones like confirming Bobby and Shelley and so forth. Uh, That would be really great to watch in a room full of fans. But then, if you'd seen, like, last week's episode, it would have been, like, just a large conference room at Comic-Con. would have been real depressing. If you'd seen part nine, you would have just been like, why are we spending so much time on this part? Like... Part eight also could have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> part eight, if they'd run that at Comic Con, the, the building would have burned down. People would have just been like, "Did you fuck the Avengers? Did you just see what happened in that room?" Yeah, would been cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, people lined up for the next panel would have been like. <laughs> now that I've said that, no Holly on season two of uh, Legion is gonna just make like his 
part eight, air quotes, and then screen at a Comic-Con. Oh, I'm sure Try to be the taco town, yeah. Um, well, this has been Twin Peaks Peaks. Thank you for joining us, Jess. Thank you for And pulling me. out amazing uh, references to painting and film. No uh, problem. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> So, do you have any plugs you want to make? Should people follow you on any social media stuff, or should they just mind their own business? No, they can check you. out um, my films and videos on my website, which is notjustlane.com. And you can feel free to follow me on Twitter, though I may or may not tweet very often. We'll see what happens. Cool. Uh, do you need, I think you need to say the Twitter handle. Oh, it's not just Lane. Oh, well. okay, cool. Uh, I am Matthew Olson. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Matthew Olson. Spell it right, please. I have another podcast. It's on hiatus right now, as I'll say. I have an episode in the can that I have to edit. It's called Can You Get to That? I make with my friend Caitlin Best. I should say that maybe in the past tense right now until we really started up again proper. But, you know, there's been this television show. It airs every week. It's kind of hard to put together the episodes. I've been moving. So, you know, this is all this other stuff. Uh, you can find this show on Twitter. It's at Twin Peaks Peaks. Uh, follow us there. That's where we do the most updating. The show itself, you can find it on TwinPeaksPeaks.SimpleCast.FM, on iTunes, on some other podcast services that we did not have to feed the RSS feed into because those services are thirsty for content and they just scooped us right up. <laughs> if you're listening on iTunes, leave us a review, a rating. That'd be great because it helps other people find us on the platform that Steve Jobs built. Otherwise, I think that's... Oh, and we're on Facebook. You can, I don't know, like our posts there. Or you could do like the heart one or the haha. Interact with our moms there. Yeah. Facebook uh, sent me an email direct to my inbox being like, hey, you should update the page for your other podcast because you haven't in a while. And I'm like, how do I turn this feature off immediately? I hate this. So... Well, we update the Twin Peaks one. <laughs> we do. Um, I'm Ashley Brandt, and you can follow me on Twitter at Ashley Brandt. You can also listen to my other podcast, the Cable, a Kardashian podcast. We're going to be coming back for the premiere of Life of Kylie, TBD on the rest of Life of Kylie. I don't know. Are you curious about Life of Kylie? I have my expectations, but we'll see how it stacks up. Um, Has there been any recent news that you've been itching to cover that you haven't yet? Uh, we covered the recent Robin Black China news. I have thoughts about Kendall Jenner, as I always do, but you can tune into the cable for that. Or follow you on Twitter? I don't tweet about my Kendall Jenner theories. <laughs> oh, okay. Those, those are... Those are... That's K-Hole exclusive content. <laughs> Soon to be locked behind a Patreon wall. Yep. So uh, get that while you can. want to shout out Cole Hamilton for doing our amazing cover art. Uh, that's C-O-L-L Hamilton, spelled the way you'd think, uh, dot com for his stuff. Or you can find him on Twitter. It's at C-Far-Enough. All right. So this week, you're prepared. You have the line. I am prepared. The... Exit music is playing underneath this. This has been Twin Peaks Peaks. Thank you, Mr. Jackpots.